message, Luke chapter number 9. Okay, Luke 9, verses 18 through 22, and it says, And it came to pass, as he was alone, praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, and some say Elias, and others say, One of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for our pastor, Lord. I pray that you'd give him wisdom today as he's preaching. Um, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be focused, and I pray you'd help us to learn something from this um, sermon today, Lord. I pray all in your name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Blake. I appreciate him. Uh, as you know, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, this was the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Mark recorded this event in chapter number 11 of his gospel. And he says this, he, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees. And that's where we get the Palm Sunday. Um, and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about Upon all these things, and now the eventide was come, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so this is when uh, Jesus came uh, into Jerusalem, and that was Palm Sunday. That's the day that set in motion the events of the very last week of Jesus before he died on the cross. The most important week in all of human history. Now this week has often been referred to as the Holy Week. It's also been referred to as the Passion Week. And there were several important events that took place during this week. But way back in Luke chapter number 9, where our text is this morning, Jesus spoke about what would happen during this special week in the most important events that took place that week. Uh, additionally, Matthew and Mark recorded this event when Jesus spoke these words as well. Uh, we won't take the time to look at those, but Matthew and Mark both... Uh, mentioned the fact that Jesus said the word must here in reference to what he was going to do during Passion Week. And of course, uh, today sets in that motion, that uh, week of celebration for us as believers as we look into the last week of Christ. And, and so I, I, I thought it would be appropriate today to look at the word must in relation to uh, what Jesus was going to do in his Passion Week. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the Passion Week in one verse, <laughs> in one verse, and that's verse 22 where the Bible says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. So what did Jesus promise that he must do during this Passion Week? Well, first of all, this morning I want us to see that he spoke of his suffering his suffering. In verse number 22, again, it says, the Son of Man 
must suffer many things. And as we go through the week, the Passion Week, we do see that Jesus suffered many things. And he suffered many different ways. And I want to highlight just three of them very quickly uh, with you this morning. First of all, he suffered mentally. Uh, There was mental suffering that Jesus went through during his last week here on earth before he died. Uh, He suffered tremendously mentally. I think about in the Garden of Gethsemane after he served the Last Supper as he served communion with his disciples there in the upper room. He went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and as he was praying he was thinking about what he was about to do there on the cross. And it was a mental anguish that he experienced. Um, We find him praying in such agony that the Bible says he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, Jesus suffered tremendous mental anguish as he was thinking about what was about to happen to him on the cross, that he was going to become my sin and yours, and that he was going to take the wrath of God upon him that was meant for you and I. As he was thinking about what was about to happen, he was under tremendous mental anguish. He was concerned about his future. Are you concerned about your future? Have you been suffering mentally recently? I would dare say a lot of the population in the United States has been indeed suffering mentally. Well, know this, he suffered so that you don't have to suffer. Uh, He knows what it's like to suffer. I think not only did he suffer there mentally in the Garden of Gethsemane, but as he faced the rejection and the humiliation and the mockery from those around him, He was rejected by the very same people who on Palm Sunday began to say, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Those same people were the ones who a little later on were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, who wanted his his crucifixion. That type of rejection. Have you been rejected? Have you felt left out? Are you feeling lonely? Jesus knows what it's like. He suffered mentally. But not only did he suffer mentally, he also suffered physically. I mean, the type of physical pain that Jesus endured for you and for me is beyond our understanding, really. I think about uh, before he was ever placed on that cross, oh, he experienced tremendous physical torture. You see, in John chapter 19, the Bible says, uh, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. So Jesus was scourged, and that was a form of torture that was to bring people to the brink of death. Uh, And then right before death, they would stop and let them deal with the pain and live with that pain. This uh, Pilate thought, well, this will appease the people that are calling for his execution. This will kind of silence the crowd. Well, we know that that didn't stop there, but let me just talk about that scourging. It was with a cat of nine tails, and what they would do is they would hang this prisoner, Jesus in this case. Uh, they would uh, wrap his arms around a, a beam, and, and so his, his back is stretched tight. The skin on his back is stretched tight. Then the soldier would take a, a cat of nine tails, which was a leather strap with nine different leather straps attached to that, and, and each one of those nine straps had... Uh, a sharp object like a bone or a shell or a piece of rock and they would take that and they would 
whip it around the body of that prisoner, and of course, Jesus in this case. Those, uh, those sharp objects would, would kind of grip into the body, into the flesh, and they would rip that thing apart, tearing open our Savior's body. And they didn't have a... Or Paul was, had this happen to him, and he was whipped 39 times, 40 times save one. Well, because he was whipped by the Jews, well, the Romans were the ones who whipped Jesus, and they didn't have such a law. And they just kept doing it and doing it until they were brought to the brink of death. So Jesus was scourged with a cat of nine tails. Well, after that, some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say to him, prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. So basically what they did is they put some type of bag over Jesus' face so that he couldn't see who was doing it. And then they would smack him upside the head and say, hey, you're supposed to be God. Who just hit you? The physical suffering of Jesus. Well, after that, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And these weren't little rose bush thorns that you and I think of. No, these were uh, thorns from Israel. And these were very long and very, very sharp thorns. And and they, crown, they, they formed a, a crown out of these thorns, out of mockery for Jesus, because again, he said he was the king of the Jews, so let's put a crown on him. And they put this crown on him, and, but they didn't just set it on him carefully. No, they put it on him, and the Bible says they took a reed and drove those uh, needles deep into his scalp. And then they made him carry his own cross piece up the hill to a place of his crucifixion. I take a moment this morning and read a medical doctor's description of what a crucifixion was. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground and Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The, the legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrists and he drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but allow some flexion and movement. Well, the beam is then lifted into place at the top of the post, and the title reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed into place. The left foot is pressed against backward, uh, pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each foot. And as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nails, on that nail through his feet. And again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones through that feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramp sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. And finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless plane, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent parcel uh, asphyxiation, searing pain as 
Tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. That compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain, and Jesus gasps, I thirst. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. And with one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry from the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You see, Jesus suffered tremendously when you think of his physical suffering. No wonder Isaiah wrote in his book, uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, he suffered mentally. And he suffered physically, but he also suffered spiritually. And this perhaps was the greatest form of suffering that he experienced and endured on that cross. Oh, the mental anguish was intense. The physical was great and intense as well, but, but his spiritual suffering was the worst. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, at that moment on the cross, Jesus became my sin and took the payment for all of my sin. Every lie that I ever told, every bad thought that I ever had, everything that I would ever do that was sin, Jesus took the payment and the wrath of God that I deserved. At noon, Jesus was crucified. At 9 a.m., three hours later at noon, at high noon, when the sun was at its peak and brightest, the Bible says the sky actually grew dark. Matthew 27, verse 45 records this. Now from the sixth hour, which was noon, There was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. So from noon until 3 p.m., it was dark outside. It was creepy. It was eerie. Why? Because it signified the fact that God the Father was turning his back on God the Son because Jesus was becoming my sin. And God God the Father could not look at his Son anymore. Psalm 22 Remember one of the words, one of the sayings from the cross was when Jesus quoted Psalm 22, verse number one, where he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want to read a portion of Psalm 22 because it, it, it indicates the spiritual suffering that Jesus endured there on the cross. Psalm 22, verse one, 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O, that, o thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee, were not confounded, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Oh, they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Oh, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They have gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joints, and my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast cast lots upon my vesture. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. So for those of you who are experiencing suffering today, you're in good company. And I want to encourage you to Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You don't have to carry your burden alone. There was a man, a a preacher, named Elisha Hoffman, years ago. And when he wasn't working in his study, he could often be found chatting with poor people in the homes across the street. One day he visited the home of one of his parishioners, one of his Uh, members of his congregation in the hills near Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Sorrow and affliction were also frequent visitors there in that area. Well, he found this particular mother uh, deep in the depths of mental anguish. So he began to counsel with her and shared verses from the Bible, which he thought would help and console her. However, she seemed to be unable to rise above her distress. He then suggested that she, she really could do nothing better than to take all of her sorrow to Jesus. And then he said this to her, you must tell Jesus. Well, a light broke across her face and she cried, yes, you're right. I must tell Jesus. And so she did. And after a period of prayer, she rose from her knees with a brightness in her face that can only come from a time when you take your burden and give it to the Lord. Well, this preacher, Hoffman, left immediately with the words, I must tell Jesus, ringing in his heart. As soon as he arrived at home, and while still under the influence of this wonderful experience, he wrote the words to the beloved hymn, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Look, friend, 
I realize that there's some suffering going on at the moment. Jesus suffered. And he is inviting you to cast all your cares upon him, to tell him all of your distresses. And Jesus can and will help. And Jesus alone is able to do that. So in his, this verse that back in verse 22 of Luke chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He first spoke about his suffering, but then he also suffered, or spoke of his sacrifice. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and here it is, and be slain. You see, after six long, excruciating hours on that old rugged cross that we sang about a few minutes ago, the Lord Jesus cried out, It is finished, and finally gave up the ghost and died. Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, tasted death for you and for me. Jesus Christ, who in him was life, and the life was the light of men, experienced death. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in chapter 2 and verse number 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He tasted death for you and for me. His sacrifice was complete when he gave up the ghost. Romans 5 and verse number 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And by the way, friend, that's you and me. I was ungodly and so are you, and so were you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Oh, we've all heard stories of those who have given their life to protect a friend or a loved one. We've heard that. But here we go. It says, but God commended his love toward us, proved his love, demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, it wasn't like we were his friends. No, in fact, we were actually his enemies. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in the verse where he says the Son of Man must, he talked about his suffering and he talked about his sacrifice, that he would make that sacrifice. And by the way, he was my sacrifice and yours. And reference back to the Old Testament as uh, the Old Testament uh, rituals of sacrificing a lamb for the atonement of sins. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, became the ultimate sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice so that no longer would we have to sacrifice any animals. This sacrifice would cover all of my sins and all of yours as well, if we would but believe on him. So he spoke of his sacrifice. He also spoke of his success. And I love this one. Now, verse 22, the Son of Man, Jesus said, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and here it is, and be raised the third day. This was success. While things looked bleak and bad as Jesus was laying dead in the borrowed tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, it looked bad, but Christ's work wasn't finished. 
Because you see, three days after being in that borrowed tomb, up from the grave, he arose. He was successful in his bout with death, hell, and the grave. He was triumphant and victorious over something that no one else could be. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. That means if Christ be not risen, why in the world am I coming here to preach to a camera? It's, it's dumb. It's vain. And he goes on to say, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in our sins. Uh-oh, that's bad. If Christ is not resurrected, if Christ does not live today, then I'm still in my sins, and that's a horrible thing. It goes on to say, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Uh, my, my saved mom is not in heaven. If Christ be not raised. Um, everybody who's died who claimed to know the Lord is not in heaven. That's a bad thing. He goes on to say, and if, this, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most miserable. But Then the very next verse says this, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that sleep? Paul said, Christ is indeed risen. He lives today. And he was successful over death, hell, and the grave. And he spoke about it all the way back in Luke chapter 9 when he said, The Son of Man must be raised the third day. Romans 5 and verse 10. We read a few verses in Romans 5 just a moment ago in reference to Jesus' death. But Romans 5.10 says this, For if we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, and then he said, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We shall be saved by his life. Albert Barnes in his commentary on this verse, Romans 5 and verse 10 said this, death has the appearance of great feebleness. The death of Christ had the appearance of the defeat of his plans. His enemies triumphed and rejoiced over him on the cross and in the tomb. Oh, you can imagine the devil after seeing Jesus give up the ghost. He was like, oh, finally, it's over. I'm the winner now. And as he lays in that tomb with that huge stone rolled in front of it, the devil's like, man, we have got him now. We have him right where we want him. Life is good. Well, Barnes continues his thought, and he says, yet the effect of this feeble, low, and humiliating state was to reconcile us to God. See, as Jesus looked defeated, he was still powerful enough to be able to reconcile us back to God through that act of death, through that act of humility, through that act of feebleness. If in this state, when humble, despised, dying, dead, he had the power to accomplish so great a work as to reconcile us to God, how much more may we expect 
that he will be able to keep us now that he is a living, exalted, and triumphant Redeemer. If his fainting powers and dying were such as to reconcile us, how much more shall his full, vigorous powers be as an exalted Redeemer, be sufficient to keep and to save us? Friend, he is exalted. He is living. He is a living Savior and a living Redeemer. And he can keep us and save us. How much more? And that's what Paul was trying to communicate there in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Well, Peter had something to say, too, about the wonderful success over death, hell, and the grave. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. And how is it made possible? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, praise the Lord that he was willing to suffer for us, that he was willing to be our sacrifice, and praise the Lord that he was indeed successful over death. The entire Passion Week in one verse. Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes. The Son of Man must be slain. Praise the Lord, the Son of Man must be raised the third day. But what's our takeaway this morning? What should we walk away from uh, this service with in our own minds, in our own hearts? First of all, I would say this. Make sure that you are saved. Make sure that you're a child of God. Look, he did all of this to prove his love for you. And he did all of this so that one day you would believe on his son, Jesus Christ. And so, friend, can I ask you this? Will you believe on Jesus Christ for your salvation? I was walking this morning, uh, like I do a lot of Sunday mornings. Uh, the walk I go take on Sunday mornings often takes me right by a graveyard, right by a cemetery. As I was looking at those tombstones this morning, I was thinking, look, I realize that there are a lot of people that are dying through this particular virus situation that we've been going through. And as we've been hearing, it's going to get even worse. I hope that none of us are affected by that, but the, the, the fact of the matter is we're all affected by something called sin, and uh, we're all going to die at some point. So friend, are you ready to face eternity? Are you ready to face your maker? Because you will, whether through this or through something else. At some point, you are going to die. And are you ready for that moment? If not, get saved. Look, what he did on the cross for you was to provide a way for you to go to heaven for all of eternity, to spend eternity with your heavenly Father, to reconcile you back to God, even when we didn't deserve to be. So first of all, make sure you're saved. Make sure that you're one of his children. And if you're not, I would encourage you today to believe on Jesus Christ. Secondly, I hope that as you've listened to this message and thought through again what Jesus did for us that week so many years ago, how he suffered, how he sacrificed, and then how he was successful over all of that. I hope that that causes you uh, to appreciate all that God did for you. Remember our... April memory verse that we mentioned at the beginning of the service, Psalm 69, verse 30. 
I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Oh, I get that life is tough right now. I get it. It's tough for all of us. I'm sure that you're going through some difficult times. But I can't think of a better uh, time to give thanks than during a difficult season like this. And what better thing to give thanks for than what he did for us and the fact that he suffered for us and the fact that he sacrificed for us and the fact that he was successful. So secondly, I hope that you'll go away today with some gratitude in your heart towards the Lord for what he did for you. Thirdly, for those who are suffering this morning, as I mentioned during that thought, please cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. I know that you're concerned about the future. I am too. I'm, I'm sure you have some legitimate concerns. Take those cares and give them to the Lord. He has suffered. He has gone through the anguish. He knows what it's like. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Also, another thought regarding Jesus' sacrifice. If he was willing to sacrifice so much for us, how much more should we be willing to sacrifice for him? Lord, you want me to spend time with you? You mean that's going to require a little bit of sacrifice of my time to spend with you? Well, I should be willing to do that in light of what he did for me. You want me to be a witness for you? Lord, I'm willing to. I'm willing to make whatever sacrifice you ask me to, Lord, because of what you did for me. The song that we... I was hoping we would sing today when I survey the wondrous cross. At the end of that song, it says, Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul. It demands my life and it demands my all. When you understand what God did for you on the cross of Calvary, nothing should be out off limits for us to do for him. Because remember, Jesus paid it all, all to him, I owe. Now, there's no way I can repay him, but boy, if God wants me to sacrifice something for him, sign me up. Please, Lord, let me do it. And lastly, because Jesus was successful over death, hell, and the grave, we too can be victorious and overcome temptations in our own lives. You and I can be victorious and you and I can overcome the challenges that we face because of the power of the resurrection that Jesus had and Jesus now gives us as well. It was Paul who said that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to know the power of his resurrection and we can know the power of the resurrection in our own lives. So as you're facing challenges and difficulties and temptation, you can overcome those through the power of God because he had power over death, hell, and the grave. So the Passion Week in one verse means a lot for us today. 